Welcome to a special edition of the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week... Ron Hansen. I'm the congressional reporter for the Republic. Mary Jo Pitzel, investigative reporter and longtime former state capitol reporter. Today we have some very sad news about U.S. Senator John McCain, who has been battling a very deadly form of brain cancer for more than a year. His family announced uh, today on Friday that he is ending medical treatment. The six-term senator from Arizona and 2008 Republican presidential nominee um, has been staying with his family uh, in northern Arizona near their home um, by uh, Sedona. His family and a team of caregivers um, have taken care of McCain, who is 81 and whose birthday is next week. Ron, what did the statement from the family say? So they issued a statement this morning that says, last summer, Senator John McCain shared with Americans the news our family already knew. He had been diagnosed with an aggressive glioblastoma and the prognosis was serious. In the years since, John has surpassed expectations for his survival, but the progress of disease and the inexorable advance of age render their verdict. With his usual strength of will, he has now chosen to discontinue medical treatment. What do we know specifically about what that means, if anything? Well, it seems to signal that um, obviously no more treatment going forward. Um, that they don't see any hope for treatment prolonging the senator's life. What that means, though, for how other other medical um, uh, interventions that might be um, in place, we don't know if those will continue or if those are also discontinued. We um, had sort of a brush with uh, really difficult health for Senator McCain last December, and uh, again in the spring with uh, about with diverticulitis that really um, seemed to pose quite a bit of difficulty for him. And we'd heard some information about, uh, you know, how much more extraordinary measures did they want to take to try and uh, keep him uh, with us. The line in this statement that sort of catches my eye is uh, the last one. With his usual strength of will, he has now chosen to discontinue medical treatment. It seems like this is something that he has indicated to his family that this is something that needs to end. He didn't want to prolong things needlessly. And it certainly is unclear at this point his consciousness and his ability to uh, verbalize his plans. But clearly we have seen this for months now that uh, the family has had ups and downs and, and gone through uh, quite a bit in dealing with this situation that it's it's clear that this eventuality had been on their minds for some time. His family has signaled that they are just really very grateful for the support that, that has poured in um, from friends, from uh, his, his colleagues on Capitol Hill, from foreign leaders, and from kind of everyday Americans who have watched his long and very storied uh, rise to the U.S. Senate. Um, He was first elected in Arizona in 1982 to the House of Representatives and ascended to the Senate the next cycle. He has served there for six years, was the 2008 presidential nominee, was a prisoner of war during Vietnam for five and a half years. His daughter, Megan McCain, who is a political commentator and co-host of The View, has really provided a glimpse into what this last year has looked like in Hidden Valley, which is um, the nickname for their home. 
um, near Sedona. Her Twitter feed and her Instagram account, her um, other kind of social media pages have, you know, shown a life um, that is really full of gratitude, I guess, in, in, in these recent months. She's posted about the snakes that have, you know, slithered around the Hidden Valley. She's, uh, she's posted an undated photo of herself with her father. She's posted um, images of the, of the little creek that snakes through their property. Those posts ended um, about three days ago, which seemed to signal that something may have shifted in, in, a, in a pretty significant way. Yeah, to me as a somewhat casual observer, as opposed to you two who are watching this almost minute by minute, it signals maybe a, a circling of the family wagon and sort of closing in um, to be with, um, with the senator in what you know, might be final days, final weeks. And th the family has been extraordinarily protective um, of their father, as you know, anyone could, would be and, and would, would want to be. Um, do we have a sense of uh, what their wishes are going to be uh, moving forward, Ron? So final details have not been made public. We are not uh, privy to exactly how uh, this will play out. But what we have heard is uh, there are plans for some sort of uh, service in Phoenix. There will be uh, perhaps some event at the state capitol to acknowledge him as well and uh, he will be transported back to the uh, nation's capital, uh, likely for a service in Washington, D.C. A, a favorite in there has been uh, to have something at the National Cathedral, uh, perhaps to lie in, in state at the capital as well. And the one thing that we do know publicly is from his book, The Restless Wave, he outlined um, his desire to be buried at the Naval Academy uh, with uh, a former mate of his uh, from the Navy. And so his final resting place will be in Annapolis, Maryland. It will be uh, near Chuck Larson. Uh, they, as you said, uh, were in the Academy together. And uh, I, a spokesperson for the Academy told, uh, told us back in May that McCain does have a dedicated plot there. And she said it is very close to Larson's resting place where McCain describes as, quote, a beautiful spot that is near where our paths first crossed. He said, I want to smell the rose-scented breeze and feel the sun on my shoulders. Um, he said he wants to watch the hawks hunt from the sycamore and then take my leave bound for a place near my old friend Chuck Larson in a cemetery on the Severn River back where it all began. This does seem to be a return to his roots of sorts. Uh, what can you tell us, for, for those who might not be as familiar with um, John McCain, about the impact he has had on uh, Arizona, and globally, really? Well, you know, there's so much that can be said. There are books that are written already about it, but clearly this is someone who has acted, especially in recent years, as a statesman for his party, for his country more broadly, someone who has uh, tried to live and, and tout a value system that um, still talks openly about patriotism and duty to country and such, and has looked after Arizona's interests, um, um, especially where the military and, and uh, national security are involved in a very uh, aggressive way. 
and he has made his his views known on the international stage, uh, especially as it deals with Russia, and has not been shy about crossing people even in his own party, especially these days with President Trump. His political legacy, I think, you know, goes back and forth. He, you know, had the period where he was a maverick. Then he's seen very um, sort of mainstream, and now he's back to being the maverick because he has um, openly uh, challenged President Trump. Uh, there obviously is no love lost uh, between those two men. Uh, he has also um, tried to embrace a lot of the things that are quintessentially Arizona um, in his legislation, um, looking after not only the military, um, uh, but things such as the Grand Canyon protections, overflights at the Grand Canyon, uh, standing up for Native American populations, and some of the water settlements, which actually his former colleague John Kyle took the lead on, but McCain was very instrumental in that. But he has very much stood up as an advocate for long-term, broad Arizona interests. Um, he likes to see that in the mold of Barry Goldwater. Dan Nowicki, who has covered uh, Senator McCain for for decades and has really written some incredible stories about him, including um, a, a book, has a piece uh, up on AZ Central that explores what McCain's um, legacy will be. And of course, the term maverick <laughs> comes up. Um, he says that McCain distanced himself from the maverick label when it became a liability during his bid for the 2008 Republican presidential nomination and in his 2010 and 2016 Senate reelection races. But he never let it go completely, just as critics on the left would use it against him when they felt he wasn't living up to their idea of bipartisanship. Quote, that was a label that was given to me a long time ago, McCain said in 2010. I don't always decide on the labels that I'm given. I said I have always acted in what I think is in the best interest of the state and the country, and that's the way that I will always behave. In a 2002 memoir, McCain wrote that he worried that the Maverick Act might be getting a little tired for a man of my years. But later, when he was 80 years old, he seemed to settle into the argument once, settle the argument once and for all when in the early hours of uh, this July 2017 vote that we all remember, he gave the very dramatic thumbs down vote to the GOP legislation to undo the Affordable Care Act. That was the decisive vote that stalled Republican efforts to gut Obamacare, and I think it is the vote that he will most be remembered for. You should all please go read Dan Nowicki's really great reporting uh, on azcentral.com. Um, I will say that um, I'm, although all politicians tend to inspire strong emotions in the electorate, McCain um, has perhaps been more of a lightning rod than your run-of-the-mill politician. Um, we have had people who have tried to um, oust him from the Senate. They've worked in local elections to undermine the precinct committee people. There is a very strong um, anti-McCain sentiment. Yet, year after year, election after election, um, if you look at the results and you look at how the campaigns played out, he never really had a really hard challenge, a real hard fight to keep his seat. Arizonans kept electing him, even as there was a lot of... Um, a lot of heat coming from some of the grassroots. They did uh, censure him in, in 2014, the, the state party, uh, largely for his work on um, illegal immigration, but then they tried again, if I recall, in 2016 and couldn't muster up the votes. You know, and as McCain has pointed out in, in different contexts, he has never lost an election in Arizona. 
and I, I think that he has been uh, a fairly radioactive political figure and one who didn't shy from controversy and, and you know, just circling back to the thumbs down, it's amazing how consequential John McCain has remained even to these last days. Uh, uh, he has really sort of, uh, you know, been someone who has been, as he would like to say, in the arena. And um, as recently as earlier this month, for example, when the National Defense Act uh, was uh, signed by the president with an Arizona congresswoman, Martha McSally, at the president's side, that bill had John McCain's name on it and, and became a point of con contention again as to you know how best to recognize and honor John McCain, uh, especially with the president who clearly uh, has very different views on, on what McCain should be remembered for. When the seat becomes vacant, uh, the decision as to who will fill it is going to be probably one of the most, if not the most consequential decisions that Governor Doug Ducey uh, or whoever is in that seat uh, will have to make. Mary Jo, you know the ins and outs of, of the rules of, of this appointment. What, what would happen in that event? Well, as you mentioned, the governor makes the appointment by state law. The, uh, the appointee must be of the same party as the person whose seat, who has just vacated the seat. So if, if it were McCain, it must be a Republican. Um, I always feel we have to add this. Yes, the governor can appoint him or herself. This governor, Doug Ducey, has um, gone out of his way to make it clear he has no interest in doing that. What we don't know, well, the, the rest of what we know is that this appointee would then serve until the 2020 election. And then um, there would be an election in 2020 to fill out the rest, the remaining two years in the McCain term. And that would be open for anybody to run in. What we don't know on the appointment is how quickly the governor must act. There is nothing in state law that says that. It has never happened before in Arizona history. Um, I have questions out to the governor's office for, to see if they have any kind of guidance on that, on what they will, what kind of time frame. Can they sit on this for months? Can they do it the next day? Um, will they? Those are all questions we don't know yet. There's also a question as to whether or not he would want to appoint someone who could, you know, kind of serve as a caretaker of sorts of the seat, or if he really wants to choose someone who has, um, you know, the bearing and the poise and kind of that intellectual heft to carry the seat in the same way that McCain did uh, for for a long a longer term. I think Ducey, it's safe to say, will be judged um, mightily by this pick, and that's probably something that is keeping him up at night. Yeah, it's not lost on the governor that uh, all eyes will turn to him. Um, this is this is a pick that will come at a fairly important time, uh, even more so than, than usual, just because uh, we have an open Supreme Court uh, seat that there is a nomination for, and uh, Republicans have very little wiggle room on this. They need to make sure they have the votes to pass uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh uh, to the Supreme Court. They have not had John McCain participating in any votes since December. So this is something that would help them uh, secure that nomination. They also are heading into election season for everybody. So uh, this is something that um, 
is going to intensify the scrutiny of Doug Ducey as governor and who he has nominated and, and what, kind, what that says about him. It's also something that will help set the tenor for Arizona politics uh, for at least the next two years with whoever is named to that position. It also happens as we are in the final stages of picking a, another senator here in Arizona um, between uh, several women, uh, Sheriff Arpaio. Uh, we're in the final days of the Arizona primary on that. And so against all those sort of crosswinds, uh, this pick will be sort of studied and, and scrutinized uh, for, for months to come. Isn't it interesting, um, if this transpires, Arizona would have the most junior Senate delegation after years of McCain. I don't know where he stands in Senate seniority, but if he, when, if he leaves and we get a new senator for the flake seat, a very junior Senate delegation. Well, and on that, I would say that uh, we can't lose sight that John McCain is chairman of the Armed Services Committee. That is one thing, apart from just his seniority, is the chairman's gavel that he has there, the influence on a very significant committee uh, that has great influence on Arizona's economy and uh, identity in some ways of this state. Uh, to lose someone like that is is going to have you know very significant consequences to this state in, in ways that we can only wonder at this point. Well, that's it for today. Please follow our coverage of uh, John McCain on azcentral.com. We will also be live streaming uh, as needed. Please check out uh, Dan Nowicki's book online. It's called uh, John McCain's American Story. You can find that at mccain.azcentral.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I am at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L. Thanks to the politics team and also our producer, Carly Henry. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next time.